open in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to look at your word and to, to learn what you'd have us to learn from this time. And we ask that your spirit be present and, and teach us what we would have us to learn. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 21, going through verse 25. Is the law then against the promise of God? God forbid, for... If there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But scripture has concluded all under the law that the promise of faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterward be received. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us into Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after the, that faith is come, we are no longer under the schoolmaster. We're going to look at this for just a moment. We're looking at why did the law come? God promised Abraham that all people would be blessed by his seed, which we talked about over the last couple of weeks, and that seed was Jesus. The law came, as we are told to show us in Romans 7.7, uh, 7 tells us that it came to show us that we are sinners. <laughs> Without a rule, you don't know that you're a sinner. And that's all the law was there for. The law was never designed to get us to heaven. Okay? There's churches that are Christian churches that somehow start teaching the law, you know, follow these laws and you're going to be okay. The Jews tended to believe you followed the laws and you were going to be okay, even though it said that you had to offer your sacrifices. And even for them, the, the law was there only to show them you're a sinner. You're there you, to show that you sin. And it is true that if we, our conscience will tell us that we've sinned, our conscience will tell us that we've done wrong, but we can sear our conscience. We can do something bad over and over and over and over again to the point where we don't listen to our conscience. Our conscience doesn't even have a voice in our head because it has been seared. But God gave the law. And we've talked about this. The law is who God is. He didn't just invent laws and say, okay, I'm just going to pull this law out of the air and say this is the law. He, he said, you shall not lie because he is truth. He does not lie. He says that you are not to kill because he does not kill. He, he does, you know, you aren't to lust after anything and, and, and covet after everything because he does not covet after everything. The law is who God is. And he, didn't, he just didn't magically say, okay, I want this to be a law and this to be a law. He took the law from who he is. And we've talked about that. How do we obey the law? We let God live through us. As he lives through us, we will obey the law because it is him that is being obeyed. So God says that the law did not make the promise to be none, of none effect. The promise was that Jesus was coming. The law was not there to say, okay, well, we're putting the law in place of the promise. And remember, we talked about this. It said that the law that came three, 430 years after the promise did not make the promise of none effect. Okay, Mount Sinai happens 430 years from the birth of Isaac. And we talked about that. And we talked about if you hear some pastor telling you that the, Israel was in, in Egypt as slavery for, her, for 430 years, they're not reading the scripture closely enough. And I've heard lots of pastors tell you that they, they were in Israel, they were in Egypt for 430 years. They're not reading it close enough because it's from the time of promise. And Isaac is the child of promise. And so you want to be able to get that. Um, so it says that it is not, if, we're, if a law had been given that will give you righteousness, then the promise would be worthless. 
Jesus would not have had to come to this earth and die if the law could give righteousness. And it can't. The law cannot give righteousness. Why? Because God's standard is perfection. If you are not perfect, then you are worthy of hell. And that is in Romans uh, 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us. One sin's all it takes to, to, the, to deserve hell. We need to grab hold of that. We really need to grab hold of that. Satan's lie is do a lot of good things and you're going to be okay with God. You know, and if you look at any other religion out there, and even if you go, if you do any talking to people about God, you know, where are you going to go when you die? Well, I hope I'm going to heaven. Well, what, what, why do you hope that? Well, I'm hoping that I do more good than bad. God's standard is not a scale that weighs our good and bad against each other. He says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. He doesn't have this big scale up there and you're piling your good works and your bad works on it. That's what the world believes. That's what Satan believes. Matter of fact, that's what every religion believes. Here's your rules. Abide by, the, abide by more good rules than bad and you're going to be okay. And I guarantee you, you've talked to people in other religions and you'll find that that's ultimately what they believe. Whether, whether it's the Muslim faith where they never know if they're going to go to heaven or not until they get before Allah who's angry and mean and they're hoping that they've done enough good to outweigh it. The Catholic Church is pretty much based upon this. You know, do more good and, and do your penance. And if you don't, if you're almost good but not quite, you go to purgatory for a period of time to, to pay for your sins, and then you get to go to heaven. And that's not what the Bible says. It says, you know, at the end of this life, we stand before God for judgment. You go into any of the religions out there, and they're all based upon do more good than bad. It's sad that people like the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Muslims can get lots of people to go out and serve, serve for them. Why are they serving? So they can build up the good works. If they, didn't have, if they weren't dependent upon their good works, they'd probably be like the Christians who say, well, I'm just not going to go do what God told me to do. And that, if you get what I said, that's sad. God has told us to go out and make disciples. And yet to get Christians to get off our butts and go do it is hard to do sometimes. And a lot of it is because of grace. Oh, well, I'm going to heaven anyway. I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. The rest of the world can go to hell. I don't care. That's a sad attitude. That's a sad attitude. There's a comedian who makes fun of Christians. He says, Christians must really hate the world to not share, that if they really believe they're good news, that they don't go out and share it with others. And he gets laughs at it. It makes me cry because, because of how true the statement is. He's saying it in, in jest. But it really is. We should be motivated so much for our love of our people that we're going, and our, and our desire to not see somebody go to hell, we should be out telling everybody we know about heaven and about Jesus, how to get to heaven. Now, do you remember when you were a new Christian? How many people were sharing with everybody they knew when they were a first Christian? I remember those days. It didn't matter who it was. I shared Christ with them. I didn't know anything. I didn't know how to answer any questions. You know, I think I told you the first time I went out sharing with somebody, they go, well, how did you get saved? I go, I don't know. They had me say a prayer. Come to, come to Sunday school on the, on the bus with me Sunday, and we'll find out how to do it. I didn't even know how to lead them to Christ, and I was telling them about Christ. And you know, over the years, even I have slowed down in the amount of people that I share with. I still share with a number of people, but even I've shared down, and it's, it's common when we get past that excitement. 
we start thinking, how am I going to answer their questions? Or how am I going to answer this? Or how am I going to do this? Or what if they ask this? You know, we just want to go out and share. Do the best we can to learn the word, learn the, learn the answers, go out and share. And I've shared with you the best thing that can happen to you is for them to ask you a question you don't know the answer to. Because the answer to that is, that's a very good question. I'm going to go find that answer for you. And can we talk you know, again in a couple days or next week or whatever? So the best thing that can happen to you when you're witnessing to somebody is for them to ask you a question that you don't have an answer for. And then you get in your Bible and you find an answer or you, or you come to church and ask me or ask somebody else who knows more about God and you say, how do I answer this and get the answer and go back to talk to them? Now you've got two times to witness to them. Yeah. So the thing that people are terrified the most of, getting that question they don't know an answer to, is actually the best thing that can happen to you when you're, when you're talking to them. But God says, go make disciples. Go make disciples. He doesn't say, go get people out of their sin and then try to get them to come to church so they can accept Jesus. That's not what he's... And I've seen lots of Christians, well, you know, how do I convince this person that they're... Whatever, you know, name your sin. Usually it's homosexuality or adultery. Or, you know, how do I convince them that that's sin? And my answer is, who cares? They're doing something that they know is sinful. I have never met a person who doesn't think that they're doing something wrong. Even if they don't think there's an absolute value system, they still know that they're doing something wrong. Our job isn't to convince them that something they're doing is sin. Our job is to convince them that they are a sinner that they are a sinner. They've told a lie at least once in their lifetime. I don't believe there's anybody who has not told a lie at least once in their lifetime, if not once a day. Uh, <laughs> you know, I say that because we've been in Leviticus 5, we were talking about lies being, God's definition of lie is if you don't tell the whole truth and everything you know about something, you've lied. Most of us do never, never speak the whole truth about anything that we know. So we've all lied by God's definition of a lie. Yeah, so, but there's always something that somebody's done. It's easy to convince people that they are sinners because they know they're sinners. Deep down, they know they're sinners. They may try to reject it. They may try to ignore it. And then our job is to let them know that the, the penalty for one sin, one sin is, is death, eternal death. Our job is to go out and share. The law is never going to win us. The, the law will never make us righteous. Because once we've been guilty, we can't take that guilt away. You know, God does not have a statute of limitation on, his, on sin. You've committed sin, it will be with you until you stand before him, unless you accept Jesus Christ and have it put under the blood of Christ. And then it's forgiven. And so we want to be careful about that. The law was never given with the idea of that. And it says, in verse 20... Three, but before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto, unto faith that should afterwards be revealed. And this idea of being shut up means that the law pinned us in. It enclosed us. It encircled us. It put us in a kind of a prison. And as we search for God, you know, if you remember back in those days, searching for God and the prison that you feel, how when you search for God, looking for God before he came into your heart. Then we want to look at this last little section that I want to talk about, being a schoolmaster. I love this one. But after that faith has come, oops, verse 24. Wherefore the law was, not, was our schoolmaster to bring us into Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now when we read schoolmaster in our, in our day, we think of maybe the teacher 
controlling the controlling and teaching. That is not what this word means in Greek. The word in Greek means a slave, a trusted slave, who was put in charge of the male child of the house. And his job was to go with that child every time he left the house. He was responsible for him in the house, but especially every time that child left the house, that slave went with him. And his job was to make sure that that child did not do anything that would hurt him physically or morally. Uh, he was the chaperone. He was the one that said when the guys wanted to beat up the kid because he was obnoxious, he was to step between them and, and keep him away from being physically hurt. When he was going to do something that would be morally un, un, unallowable, such as steal or worse, his job was to keep them from doing that. And that was his job. He, did it, he was responsible in the house, but every time that child could not leave, that male child could not leave the house without his definition in English, schoolmaster, with him. The law is doing that, was to do that for us. It was to keep us from physical problems. And if you read through the laws, there's a lot of things that the physical problems were covered by, such as the dietary laws. They weren't to eat a pig. Why weren't you able to eat a pig? Because especially in those days, pigs carried trigonosis, and you would get sick on pork eventually. If you ate enough pork, you would almost be guaranteed to get sick. You weren't allowed to eat many of the carrion birds because they eat dead things and got were things even today that we don't eat because they are not healthy birds to eat. You know, all these rules for physical protection. They had a rules that if the, the, the mice and rats ran over your dishes, you had to wash them in running water. Well, we know that it makes sense to do that. But you know, back then they didn't. They just took the dishes off the shelf and and serve their food. Didn't matter what had crossed them or, or been across them or what bugs had been across them. During the Black Plague uh, in the Middle Ages, the Jews did not get Black Plague because they washed their dishes and kept the rats and rodents out of their houses and they carried the, the fleas, they carried the, the Black Plague, so the Jews virtually never got the Black Plague, which of course did not make them very popular with the local residents who looked at them and saying, these are these crazy people who don't, don't worship our God and they're worshiping devils and look at what they're doing to us. Okay, they follow God's rules and get sick and then they got in trouble for not getting sick. But God's laws protect us physically. They also protect, protect us in our morals and in our, in, our, in our sexual relationships if we follow God's rules. You know, it would be real easy to get rid of all STDs and AIDS all we do is make sure that everybody follows God's way. Do not have sex outside of marriage, and we'd get rid of all of them with no problem. They'd go away real quick. Now, that's not the answer our politicians want to hear. It's not the answer our world wants to hear. But if we followed God's ways of doing things, we're protected. The schoolmaster protecting us. Is it, is it a good thing? Yes, the laws are good. Are they going to make us righteous and go to heaven? No, they're not going to make us righteous and go to heaven because that's not what they were designed for. They were the schoolmaster the, to protect us, to keep us until we came to Jesus. Once we get to become saved, Jesus comes into us. He fills our life, and we're back to where we started at the beginning. God flows out of us, and I, I obey the laws not because I'm compelled to, not because I have to, but because Jesus is filling my life so fully 
that he flows out. He flows out. How do we love people? Not by manufacturing love, I can guarantee you that. We, we love people because God loves them and he flows out at us, out of us. And then we can love the unloving. We can be like Jesus and love those who have no, no reason to be loved. How can we be kind to people the same way? We do it because God flows out of us. Not because I'm working real hard and striving real hard. I've got to love this person. I've got to love this person. No matter what they've got to do, I've got to love this person. You know, if you love somebody with that kind of attitude, they're going to know that you don't truly love them. How many of you have ever had somebody being nice to you and you could just tell that they weren't wanting to be nice to you? It was obvious that they didn't want to be nice to you. They didn't say anything wrong. They didn't act wrong. They didn't do anything wrong. But you could just tell you know, that they were doing it because they were being forced to. How many of you as little kids, when your brother or sister were told, tell them you're sorry, you know, you know, and you get that, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, there was no I'm sorry involved in that, but they did what they were told to do. God wants us to let him work out of us. He's not asking us to work it out of our own flesh, out of our own, out of our own being. He says, I want to love them. That is part of being crucified. It's part of being baptized in the Spirit, where the Spirit changes who we are so that God flows out. And we're able to love people. We're able to be nice to people. We're able to edify people. All the things we're supposed to do comes from the fruit of the Spirit in us. The fruit of the Spirit who lives in us, then his fruit comes out. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Long-suffering, have you ever thought about that? Long-suffering, patience. How long does God suffer with us at times? And we're his children. And we just go, God, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm just not going to do it. <laughs> and God keeps saying, I want you to do it. We look at Abraham. Abraham was told to leave the Ur of Chaldees and he went as far as Haran. And he stayed there for 50 years before he was obedient to leave the Ur of Chaldees. How many times do we do the same thing with God? God says, do something, and we go a quarter of the way or halfway, and then we stop. God, I was obedient. I did it. No, you didn't. You, you didn't do what I told you. Have you. Did you ever do that to your parents? I, I did what you told me to do. No, you did not do what I told you to do. I said stay in the house. I didn't say go into the porch or go into the yard or, or get into the car. <laughs> we do the same thing with God all the time. God, I'm being obedient. <laughs> I, I took three steps. <laughs> God is saying take all the steps. Go forward. He wants us to step forward with him. We were talking about that in the Sunday school class today. Gideon. How often Gideon, fearful, you know, doubtful Gideon, but yet he would step out and do what God told him to eventually. God's wanting us to do the same thing. When he asks us to do something, he wants us to step out and do it. Will we be excited and, 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 and easy at it? Not usually. Uh, I started teaching Sunday school when I was 15. I can guarantee you I was scared to death the first time I sat in front of those, those eight or nine kids. I can't remember how many there were all in fourth grade, which means they were only five years younger than me. Very first time I had ever taught anybody <laughs> and there was no adult in the class. I've been there. I know what it means to stand out and, and have that fear of what is out there, God. 
going out street evangelizing for the first time. Terrifying event to go share the gospel with people on the street that you don't know. But you know something I want to tell you? It's a whole lot easier to tell people out on the street that you don't know the gospel than it is your family and your friends. The people on the street, you're never going to see again. <laughs> You know, you make a fool of yourself with them, who cares? Because you're never going to see them again. Most of us will find it always harder to share the gospel with our friends and our family because we don't want to look like a crazy nut to them. They already know we're a crazy nut, so we shouldn't have a problem. But we don't want to have that idea that they might think we're a crazy nut. Important for us. We are to go out. We are to share with others the gospel. We are to step out with God. Let him live through us. The law was given to bring us into the knowledge of sin. Then the law of sin, the, the knowledge of sin and evil was to bring us to being justified in Christ so that we could live in Christ. Very important for us to be able to get there. We want to live in Christ. Be forward. Walk forward with him. And I can guarantee you, times will be scary sometimes when God says, do something. You may be scared to death to step, take those steps. One of the examples I like to, like to give is somebody like Billy Graham. If you read Billy Graham's history, he did not go start preaching in big stadiums. He was a wandering evangelist, <laughs> preaching at churches many times the size of ours, with 30 or 40 people in doing a faithful job teaching those, do, doing the gospel of those churches. And the, and the events got larger and larger and larger until... He's speaking to millions of people on live television and in and, and venue seating, you know, 100,000 or so. If God had put him in that 100,000 venue, I don't know that he could have done it right from the beginning. He needed to build up to that. God does not ask us to do things that we're not capable of doing. It may scare us to death at first, but we depend on him and he gets us through it. And he builds on it. The more you do it, the, the, more you'll be re, the more you'll give responsibilities for. But you step out. You step out in simple ways. You step out and help out with whatever needs to be done that needs to be done. You step out and you start speaking the gospel to people. And then it becomes easier and easier. But it takes faith. It's faith to take that first step. Because the first step is always scary. Anytime you do something new, that first step is going to be scary. You know, even if it's something you want to do. Let's say you want to play sports. You know, if, you, if you've never been in a baseball game and you're standing there in the, in the batter's box, <laughs> it's going to be a scary event. Even if you're playing people your own, your own skill level, it's still a scary time to be there for the first time. Anytime you do something for the first time, it's a scary thing. I'll tell you all right now, I'm scared to death of sewing machines. I, I watch all you people <laughs> use sewing machines, and I, I can just picture myself sewing my thumb into the, into the cloth. You know, and it's, so I've never touched a sewing machine. It's survivable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, but it is just because, I number one, I have no reason to do it, but I also just, I have that fear, probably somewhat irrationally, because I watch most people have not sewn their fingers into the cloth, or they have done it. But, you know, you get the idea. There's certain things that not even I want to do because there's a fear of doing it. There's always that fear of something brand new. And we want to be able to say, I want to step out with God. God is in us. He'll give us the strength. Whatever God is calling you to do, I'm going to encourage you to step out and do it. Step out and do whatever it is he's asking you to do. And only you and he know what those are. Because we've talked about it. What is there that needs to be done? Oh, there's so much that needs to be done. We need teachers. We need cleaners. We need prayer warriors. And when I say prayer warriors, I mean I want prayer warriors who are really, truly prayer warriors. And when they pray, God's listening. 
Now, I've heard people tell me they're prayer warriors, and you ask them to pray, and nothing you ever ask them to pray for ever gets answered. And you go, I don't know that you're a prayer warrior. You keep praying, but I'm not going to go to you with my prayers, with my, my requests. But I also know people that if you ask them to pray for you, God moves. God moves. And when you're, when you're a true prayer warrior, you're going to see God moving when you pray. And God has got an area for everybody to do. God does not want anybody just sitting there doing nothing in their Christian walk. It doesn't have to be for the church. It can be for other places, but God wants you doing something. And it's between you and he and what, that, what it is that he wants you to do. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you. We ask that you help us to, to learn what it is you want us to do. You brought, the, you brought your life into us, and you want to give us the strength. You want to give us the the abilities you want to save us. We just ask and challenge that you put it on everybody's heart what it is you want them to do and that they will step forward. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.